0: I just want you just lift your hands and stretch them real high. It's not a spiritual exercise, it's a physical. Some of you looked tired a minute ago. So, so Lord, thank you for giving people grace to receive everything you have for them. Thank you for miracles taking place all across this room. Holy Spirit, uh, you're the teacher. You said you would guide us not into some truth, but to all truth. So guide us into all truth that you've decided. Let the spirit of wisdom and revelation just rest upon this word. We we thank you for what you're doing in the reconnection in the earth, and uh, we ask um, that you would continue to guide us and show us the insight that we need to be a part of that. Thank you for allowing us to be. Alive in the earth for such a time as this. Glorify your son tonight. Let it be like those uh, two disciples who walk with you on the road to Emmaus. As they walk with you, their hearts burn because you revealed yourself to them. So reveal yourself because we were created to know you, and we were created to be like you, and we were created to... Uh, be you in the earth. So thank you for that. Thank you that we get to be the ambassadors of heaven. And uh, Lord, thank you that there is no uh, darkness in the earth where there's a believer. There's light shining everywhere in the earth. So we honor you. Amen. Amen. Hey, you could be seated. Great to be back with you. Connecticut. I don't know, (laughs) I thought I was going to get through everything in one session, then the more I think about this, maybe we'll finish part two tomorrow, but I promise you this, I'll sit down when I feel like the Lord's done. So uh, I got one amen, it's still what I'm going to do anyway, so (laughs) it's just, I didn't get in for you to say amen to me, but if you'll you'll agree with me, it'll it'll work a lot better, I promise you. So... (laughs) It really will. A man says, I agree with that, and, uh, but uh, I'm not a person who, um, the reason I'm pref- prefacing this because I feel like I need to share this story, I'm not a person who thinks everything that happens in my life is prophetic or is a sign from the Lord. You know, Sometimes people are like, hey, what, what do you think about the, about the Raptors winning the NBA championship? I said, I, I think they were the better team this year. <laughs> it's as simple as that. But I did have something happen to me this week. And I, it, I believe it, I'm just going to talk, uh, I'm not going to try and explain it. I, I was in Oklahoma on Sunday and um, flew home two hours, got delayed, and I don't ever really get delayed ever. Uh, I think I missed something on scheduling that flight. I actually did. I should, should have flown out of a different airport. So always obey the Lord. So I land a few hours late, I think this is not too bad, it's 11.45, by the time I get home it'll be one o'clock, but the airline forgot that the plane got there. So at at 12.45 they figured out that they hadn't unloaded the bags from the plane, so I got my bag and I made it home about two o'clock, went to bed, I had to go to Philly the next day for a really quick trip. I don't have a, a nine-to-five job. I actually don't have a job. I have assignments, and I'm on assignment 24 hours a day, and sometimes I, I have to go places. You should, too, as a believer. Amen. Believers have assignments. That's why I say I don't have a time limit tonight. Plus, he hasn't told me to finish at a certain time, and plus, I don't think you came on a Friday night for a sermonette. <laughs> Sermonettes make weak people, and weak people are not going to change the world. So, um, I get home, they tell me my flight's delayed and then I got to the airport and they told me my flight's delayed again going to Philly. Now I have to, I'm supposed to be in Philly by 6 o'clock and I'm supposed to be there by 2 o'clock but I didn't, I'm obviously not going to get there by 2 o'clock. So they keep delaying my flight and um, so it's getting later and later, I'm thinking do I, do I need to cancel this trip? Called my intercessors, hey, what do you think about this? And, You know, it's good to get insight from other people. Some people are lost in the body of Christ because they'll never listen to other people. So um, as soon as I hung up the phone, the Lord's like, you gotta go do this. And so finally, I get to Philly at 8.45. It's going good now. (laughs) And I make it to this tent that is set up outside the Liberty Bell. And within a few moments, he has me up there ministering. And it was just, I had just come in, because he just asked me to come in, share prophetically what you feel like God's doing. He had had this word about convening the prophets in Philadelphia at the Liberty Bell. That's prophetic. So I share that, and then I sit down. Well, I shared a word about New Jersey, and he realized I grew up in New Jersey. I don't live in New Jersey now. I live in the promised land of North Carolina now. So I'm always asking the Lord, what does this mean? Because I knew this was like an unusual thing because I'm never delayed anywhere. But it rained that night on the last night of their seven days in this tent, worshiping and prophesying and declaring. And he said, you're delayed. I said, yes, I'm delayed, but I'm not denied. And I felt it so resonated with me that there are... And and I sat there Tuesday morning, in the Tuesday morning session, and I said, these prayers will not be denied. And I want to say that your prayers that have been held up will not be denied. I had um, 2015... I had a a visitation from the Lord. Actually, every day is a visitation, but this was a particular visitation. And I had asked the Lord for many years to visit me on New Year's. I said, I'd like a really good visitation on New Year's. Then he didn't come up on New Year's, so I just stopped praying the prayer. But I was in Spring Valley, California, and I really wasn't having a spiritual thought in this New Year's service that I was in. Actually, what I really was thinking, because it's kind of funny, the reason I, I, you got to tell the story, like some people like, you're human, you know? (laughs) What I was really thinking was the worship has gone way too long, and all these people have eaten, and they all look like they're going to fall asleep, and I got this message from the Lord. And Jesus comes and visits me on the front row, and he had a message for me. Sometimes he's really nice, but, he was very stern this time, and I'm not going to tell you what he said because it was more personal, but I asked the Lord, I said, why did you come tonight? And he said to me, I never forget the prayers you pray. Amen. I said, I've been praying for years, I forgot I prayed it, but you remember, I remember tonight that you prayed it. The prayers that you've prayed, they've been in faith. The bowls over this nation are filled with the prayers of the saints. And they may be delayed, but they will not be denied in this season. Amen. You can't stop what God is doing in the earth in this season. And um, there are two scriptures that jumped out to me uh, Proverbs 29, 18. I'm going to move up a little bit. And the the Old Testament is this, and there's a New Testament equivalent to this where there is no prophetic revelation, the people cast off the strength. Where there is no prophetic insight, where there's no revelation knowledge, the people cast off retreat. So he's saying, without this guiding the people of God, you can't live. I mean, you can live, but you'll live really dysfunctionally. So that's one of the reasons why the enemy works and even will use. I, I, I know things can get a little strange sometimes, but it doesn't, it doesn't disauthenticate the real thing. I see believers, they mock, like, oh, all those people over there, they all want a hearing from God. I said, I hope you're hearing from God. Do you know what's really dysfunctional? To live your whole life and never know the voice of God in Christ. That's really dysfunctional. So where there is no revelation, then Jesus taught us this in John 16. So he's telling us a key part of the role of the Holy Spirit who's in the earth today, right? He's inside of you. He's the guide, He's to guide you. He's to teach you. However, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, not just some truth. Now, the qualifier to walk in all truth is this, that the... You, you, like. Truth is truth, but your understanding of truth will come, will come in degrees. But the qualifier is that you'll get all the truth that you need in the earth is a surrendered heart. Like people want that verse, but you got to qualify yourself by positioning yourself with a surrendered heart. And it's only the surrendered heart that can really understand God. A lot of people live in frustration because they're trying to add God and the kingdom and they're still using the system of this world. Come on. And so they live in frustration. And it's really important that you you live from that position of surrender because if you're if if you if you are claiming a reality, you're supposed to as much as you know how accurately represent it to the world. But when the, when, the, when the people of God misrepresent God in the name of God, it creates more confusion, and people don't want that. The, listen, the world does not care about our shofars, our hallelujahs, our, our prayer. They don't care anything about that. They really don't. They could care less. What the world cares about is... Is the God that you serve relative to the situation that I'm in? And can it help me? I got one amen, it's still true. There's a, there's a story that I've been meditating on. Uh, saw Paul's conversion experience. And he gets knocked off a horse not a horse, he gets knocked down, excuse me, because the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. And he knocks him down. (laughs) You know, we make up all this stuff in the Western church to make people feel good. Like, come, you'll be comfortable in our services, relevant messages, you know. It's almost like they're saying, come and be comfortable in your demons. We'll soothe your demons for an hour and a half and make you feel better about them. You know, Jesus cast out demons and now we have leaders creating environments for people to be comfortable in their demons. (laughs) And then we, I'm sorry, just very plain tonight. And then then like we get excited when like a crowd shows up when Jay-Z gets a bigger crowd than us. When I be lifted up. I will draw all men unto me. Come and hear about the king who created you. Get delivered of everything that would make you comfortable. (laughs) That's the gospel, you know. We've lied to people. Just come up here and say a prayer. That's a lie. No, come up here if you're ready to, by the grace of God, give everything away and forget about any sort of ever dream you thought would make you significant and join the kingdom of God as an ambassador. That's the gospel. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Anyway, but he... Jesus says something to him, really fascinating. And I I encourage you to read that story because Jesus is not physically on the earth. And Jesus says to him, he goes, why are you persecuting me? That's really interesting. Jesus is not on the earth, but Jesus is asking him, why are you persecuting me? Apparently, if you persecute someone who's an ambassador of Jesus, it's like you're persecuting Jesus. But let's flip that around. How many are in Christ? If you're in Christ... Your eyes, your ears, your mouth, everything you do is supposed to be a reflection of Yeshua and the kingdom that he came to bring. And when you don't strive to live like that, you cause the world to misunderstand God. You are the only person that will represent God to your neighbor next to you. I didn't get that. It's one of those nights. He will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. Now this is where it gets beautiful. He will tell you things to come. Again, he's telling you, one of the functions of the Holy Spirit is to tell you things to come, to give you insight to things to come, to give you revelation knowledge of things to come. Why? Because you get to bring to partner with God to create the future of the world. And then this is even gets better here. He will glorify me. He will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Everything that was available to Jesus is available to every person in Christ. That's good news. He searches, the Holy Spirit searches the heart of the Father And everything that you've needed on the earth, he goes, let me help you with that. You're like, I'm really messing up. Let me help you with that. I specialize in working with messed up people. You're like, my whole family hates me. Let me help you with that. I've had seven marriages. Let me help you with that. I'm addicted to pornography. Let me help you with that. That is the essence of the gospel. The gospel is available to help you with every issue you ever will co- cover uh, face in the earth. You don't have to do it on your own. Why would you want to do it on your own if, when he wants to help you? So I say that because I believe that we are in the greatest season of church history, not because... I need something to say because I actually believe it's true. Amen. I believe it that, especially historically, prophetically, that no other generation has had access to the things that the people of God have in this generation. And with that, un, with that availability comes great responsibility. We will be held accountable for what we did during our lifetime. I love uh, David. Acts 13 says that after David had served the purposes of God for his generation, then he died. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I, I like, some say fell asleep. I like fell asleep because I'm never dying, yeah. I'm transitioning. Amen. So I believe that this is a time of wonderful things happening in the earth, and part of my understanding of what God is doing in the earth, and I don't suggest to to have a a complete understanding of it, but many years ago I asked the Lord, how do or how does the people of God sustain a move of God in the earth that increases over and over again? And how do you, this is a follow-up question to that. How do you live a life of longevity? How do you, how do you live the path that you, you, you never stray the path? Not that you don't make mistakes, but you, you never back away from loving God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Now, one answer I got to that is you got to do that surrender thing over and over again because you got a free will. Amen. That's not a one-time thing. I try and do it at least once a week, pull my journal out, take communion, and go, God, I can't do this without you. But I know with your help I can do this. So I pledge to love you with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind. I put you first. I, I, Lord, help me to never conform my, my uh, never try to let the word of God conform to my lifestyle, but let, let my lifestyle conform to your word. Let your word be the highest standard in my life. And then you start again and again, and every day you get delivered of stupidity. (laughs) But one of the answers the Lord gave me, he said, it's not a revival, it's a reformation. By the way, there are certain things that I believe that the people of God should stop praying to be revived, and they just need to die because God never birthed them. And it was about 2007, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me about this subject. And you know, if you're the only one saying something, you might have missed it. I began to look around, and I began to hear other voices speaking about the very same thing. In fact, uh, Bishop Bill Hammond of Christian International began to herald. He said, we have entered in the third apostolic reformation of the church. Two or more agree. And so I believe that we are in a reformation of the church. With all my heart, Lord, help us be reformed. because I'm reading stuff in the Bible and I'm seeing what we are right now and it's not you, but we're getting there. (laughs) So what is reformation? It's the changing of the universal church to better align in both belief and expression with the purposes of heaven. Reformation is also improvement, alteration for the better. Uh, Matthew, uh, the 16th chapter, if you want to follow along there. When Jesus came, this is verse 13, when Jesus came into the the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I am the the son of man? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, but but who do you say that I am? He's talking to Peter, obviously. Simon Peter had answered, he said, you are Christ, the son of the living God. Now, this is really key right here. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. On this revelation that I am Christ, the Son of the living God, I'll build my church. But notice what he's saying. Really, really important. He says, Peter, what's he telling him? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. He's telling him this is not sensory knowledge. That's really important because the kingdom of God cannot be built on sensory knowledge. Sensory knowledge is not bad. You can get information. You can be informed by books, by intellect. But your intellect is not meant to guide you. Your spirit is meant to guide you and your intellect is meant to get in line with your, excuse me, your intellect is meant to get in mind with your spirit. So he tells them, yes, he's that statement there, but he says, on revelation, on revealed knowledge, do I build my church. So he can't build the church outside of revelation knowledge. That's why he tells us, Proverbs 29, 18, without revelation, the people perish because that's the way I'm going to build my church without the Holy Spirit telling you things to come, I can't build my church. And Jesus answered, and I say to you, I will build my church. That's it right there. I will build my church. I will build my church. I will build my church. Notice too, he doesn't say he's going to build a movement. He doesn't say he's going to build the messianic movement. He doesn't say he's going to build this or that. He says he will build his church. He doesn't say he's going to build the word of faith movement. He doesn't say he's going to build the renewal movement. He doesn't say he's going to build equipping the saints movement. All those things are relative. I like them all, but he doesn't say that. They're all part of him building his church. And by the way, there's only one church. Yes. yes. Now I got some of you upset already, but it's still true because of the terminology I'm using. But you'll see here, you'll probably like me here in a few minutes so I'll say something you like. <laughs> Only one church. There's no Gentile church. There's no Jewish church. One church. Amen. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> I was preparing to minister at a conference along this, this line maybe three or four years ago. And... <laughs> The Lord, the Lord says some things to me that make me laugh. He said, By the way, I don't have any other plan except the church in the earth right now. I, this is the plan I got. There's no plan B in heaven. That's funny. <laughs> oh, it is funny because the church right now is like the Trump presidency. <laughs> It's God's choice, but it's really dysfunctional and it's got some Tweety demons. <laughs> it's God's choice. People get mad when you say Trump's God's choice. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't make. I didn't do it. He's the one who put him in all. Clearly, God is the one who put Donald Trump in office, <laughs> and he didn't care. I pray for President Trump every day because the Bible tells me, first of all, just like I prayed for President Obama. And maybe if you don't have peace in your life, it's because you're not doing, first of all, pray for all those in authority that you may lead a peaceable life. One church, different streams to build the kingdom of God. So here's some characteristics of this reformation, And, and by the way, you will see that these are synergistic concepts. What I mean by synergistic, they all work together. They're, not, they're all interconnected with each other. The first one is this. God is going to have a people who love God with all their heart, all their soul, and all their mind. The Lord told me years ago, he said, this is the foundation. Can't go beyond this one. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And then he tells us why is that so important. He says, because when you love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, you can love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Can't love your neighbor unless you're loving God. Amen. So what's a fruit that you're loving God? Do you have a fellowship with God? Do you prioritize fellowship with God? Do you prioritize the kingdom of God? You've got to really, really analyze these things. Because Paul said, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Second thing is, obviously connected. The rebuilding of the tabernacle of David in the earth. Really interesting. So, uh, Jerusalem, known as the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15... And it's really interesting we're sitting in this setting because, obviously, most of all the early believers, most of them are all Jews. And then they finally did what God told them to go and get out of there, get out of there, get those Gentiles. They had to get delivered of some stuff too. So the Gentiles start getting saved, and now some of the Jews are like, hey, they need to practice what we're practicing. And then it's very interesting. Because the apostles are there. James, the brother of Jesus, didn't follow him during his lifetime, but became a follower. I always think Jesus, his brothers and sisters, definitely had some time on Dr. Phil's couch. (laughs) Why why are you here to see me? My brother's perfect. (laughs) No, really. My brother's perfect. (laughs) Yep free for you. I've never heard anything like this. But he stands up after hearing some discussion, and he, uh, he quotes this kind of obscure p- prophecy from Amos. And with these words, the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by the name of the Lord, says the Lord who does all these things. Now that's really interesting, because David is, is obviously an extremely fascinating character in Scripture. Yeshua is going to sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem. Interesting stuff. And he is going to sit there one day, and David, the man after God's own heart, one day, like, hey, I got a really nice house. I got all these wives. I don't even know most of their names. And I'm living in this nice house. And you, he had put the Ark of the Covenant in this tent. And he, he said, he, he created this He put the Ark of the Covenant, symbolic of the presence of the Lord, puts the Ark of the Covenant there, and then assigns priests and skilled musicians. You had to try out, I think. (laughs) And he puts them and he pays them to worship the Lord 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I believe because he's a prophet, priest, and king, he's seeing into the next covenant. And he's seeing a time where you don't need uh, the blood of bull and goats. It's going to be the sacrifice of praise. And anyone's going to be able to enter. And they're saying, with these things, he goes, in the last days, I'm going to rebuild the tabernacle of David. What's really interesting about this is all over the earth, particularly I I trace back to maybe about... um, 98, 99 around there, I've gone to different parts of the world, and they have these worship and prayer things. Some of them are for all day, some of them are 24 hours, some of them are manned, some of them are manned by churches around the city, and I'll say, how did you start this? Oh, we decided to worship and pray one night, or the Lord spoke to us to worship and pray, and then we thought, well, let's do 10 hours, let's do 12 hours. Let's do 24 hours. And suddenly we realized that God was asking us to do this all of the time. Independently of each other. Never heard of IHOP, never heard. The Holy Spirit revealed knowledge. Amen. And why is this so important to me? First of all, because it does a lot of things. I won't talk fully about what I think it means. But 2007, I was in Washington, D.C. at the call. And the Lord had begun... Had began speaking to me about this subject of reformation and he said this to me He said there will be no reformation in the earth without 24 hour a day seven day a week worship and prayer towards the Lord So what you're seeing in the earth Is God birthed Here's the other thing the Holy Spirit is incredibly practical Because there are things that David did in Scripture that God's glory got put on and God never told him to do it. God never tells David in Scripture to build that temple. But he does tell us, he gives us some insight on it. He tells us that David is the man after God's own heart. So he's telling us the surrendered heart the one postured correctly is the heart that I can use to put things in the earth where my glory will touch and change the world forever. Amen. Why? He's looking for friends. Here's another one. Unprecedented outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, what we've seen in the earth, even what we've experienced the last 15, 20 years of our life does not touch the surface of what God is about to do and is doing in the earth right now. Amen. Unprecedented harvest, unprecedented miraculous. Why? Because it's a normal representation of who God is. Amen. There's coming a time where, where buildings will house 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week meetings. I've been a different cities, particularly Mexico City. I remember one time I was standing with a group of leaders. There's a big soccer stadium. They said it was one of the biggest in the world, second biggest, first biggest. I don't remember, but the Lord told me, he said, that was not built for sporting events. That was built because one day the people of God will gather there and worship me under one banner. Here's another sign, apostolic preaching, apostolic preaching. In Acts 2, when Peter begins the first sermon of the primitive church, he makes a statement, and Peter said to him, that word said to him is the same Greek word for when they they spoke in other tongues. And if you read his message, it's not long, unlike tonight. But it gives us understanding that when he's speaking, he's not speaking mere words. He's speaking words that penetrate hearts and unlock blind eyes. I believe it was Finney, the revivalist. Lawyer gets born again, filled with the spirit. And they said he was kind of uh, the practice of altar calls began then because he would preach and the people would say it was like an irresistible grace compelled us to say yes to the message he was preaching. And it wasn't just miracles, they used to mark cities before and after he went to the cities. And it's a, I don't know the exact percentage, extremely small percentage today of converts that actually stay in a church, get discipled, and walk with the Lord. They said 80% of the converts in his meetings, thousands, 10 years later were still in churches, still walking with the Lord, because they were confronted with a gospel of power. Apostolic preaching. Here's another one. Church government built on the foundations of apostles and prophets. Ephesians 2 verse 20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. How does the church get built? On the foundation of apostles and prophets. I know a lot of believers don't. They they prefer to have non-profit organizations. (laughs) With Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. You'll notice the intersection between the prophetic and the apostolic right at the beginning of the church. What does Jesus tell them? Don't leave Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. What is that? A prophetic word. It's revealed knowledge. He is working out. I will build my church through revealed knowledge. So what do they do? They go to a room. A lot of people believe 500 were there. I've learned God likes the crowds because it represents people, but he usually changes the world with small groups. They say 120 people are are there at the end. But before that happens, Peter stands up, an apostle, and he says it's necessary to choose someone else. He chooses this guy called Matthias, and they choose him. And it's Not until they choose a 12th apostle that the Holy Spirit gets poured out. And I believe it's indication that without apostolic government, you cannot properly govern the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The reason for apostles and prophets is not for titles, not for rings, not for multi-level marketing. The reason for apostles and prophets is for the equipping of the saints. It's for the people to be activated. What does he tell us? Ephesians 4. He himself gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. Right before that, he tells us when he he ascended, he first descended, and and he gave gifts unto men. Basically saying, these, because I've I've conquered hell, death, and the grave, these are my gifts to you. For the equipping of the saints, not to get famous, not to get their name on a billboard, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body, till we all come to the unity, that's key right there, you see that it's only The gifts of God that God ordains in the church that can actually bring people into unity. Very, very important. God does have patterns. Till we come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. I want to suggest to you that we're not perfect, so we still need those previous verses to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should be no longer children tossed to and fro, about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning and the craftiness and deceitful plotting. So it's the day of the saints. The Lord sometimes will, often will give me these examples of what this is going to look like. And he brought me back to uh, many years ago. He said, you know, I used to get excited when this particular minister would come to our church. I get so excited because I knew God was going to be there and you were going to hear the word of the Lord. And And he told me, he said, you know how excited you were going to those meetings? He goes, that's what I want to make believers attractive to the world like that. That people want to be around unbelievers. Excuse me, the people unbelievers want to be around people of God because you have something of substance to offer them. Yes. Yes. I like that, that guy on that way into the temple. He's looking for something. I believe that the reason he's looking something from Peter and John in, in the book of Acts is because he consistently receives something from them. Here's, this is not the final characteristic, but the final characteristic we'll discuss tonight. The restoration of the church to its Jewish roots. The restoration of the church to its Jewish roots. Ephesians 2, verse 14 through 16. For he himself is our peace. He has made both one, 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 Amen. one, one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished his flesh in the enmity that is the law of the commandments contained in his ordinance, so as to create himself one new man, one new man from the two, thus making peace that he might reconcile them both in God in one body through the cross, therefore putting to death an enmity. I love it because he's saying, this is the Apostle Paul, obviously, a Jew himself, who, in my opinion, lived out what it meant. In all intents and purposes, a lot of believers would look at his life when they saw it, and they would not recognize it because they would think he's a legalist. But he lived, he practiced the feast. To the day he died, he lived as a Jew seeing Yeshua as he answered Messiah to the law. Amen. But he tells us Yeshua, the, uh, not only does Yeshua make peace between Jews and Gentiles, but I love this, he himself is our peace. Amen. Just stop right there. Yes. There is no need to live overwhelmed frustrated. He is your peace. Peace is not a feeling. Peace is something you get to live in 24 hours a day, seven days a week if you're in Yeshua. He in living, believing Jews and Gentiles, he has made both one. And our newness is in the Messiah living in both. In the temple, most people think he's referring to this in this verse. In the temple, there was a sign. Notice, foreign Gentiles did not go in the temple. So is that, what does that make us understand? The Jew is the original tree. I know I might be speaking to the choir, but maybe some of you don't understand this. He forbade, it forbade any foreigner to go in for the pain of death. This was the boundary fence between Jews and Gentiles. There's also a court for women only. Just as the veil was torn in two when the Messiah died, Matthew 27, 52, allowing everyone united with Messiah to enter God's presence into the Holy of Holies, so too has the Messiah removed the barrier preventing Gentiles from mixing and being counted with God's people. His point Is this Gentiles are no longer separated, but they can now join the Jewish people to be one with God's people through faith in Jesus Yeshua the Messiah. The partition is down. Gentiles can join us in because Jesus came to the Jew first. Hallelujah. Often Critics of what we refer to as Jewish roots, Messiaic and understanding, you can use eight different ways to describe it. They understand it the other way around, that the partition is down so that once Jews believe in their own Messiah, they no longer have a right to maintain their Jewish identity, but they must conform to Gentiles' patterns. The same apostle who wrote this didn't even live that himself. But I've also seen this happen all over the world. It's not a Jew-Gentile thing. It's also in Africa. Go to Africa, and they want you to wear suits in 90-degree weather. Why? Because the first people that brought them the gospel told them, you need to wear suits. They don't even look comfortable in suits. They had better clothing, more comfortable but they told me, if you're gonna follow Jesus, you have to dress like this. <laughs> now years later, they're still dressing like that. They don't think you're a man of God unless you wear it, some of them. The object of messianic Judaism and Jewish roots is not to destroy fellowship between Jews and Gentiles and Messiah, but to preserve it. At the same time, Messianic Judaism seeks to provide a framework in which Jewish believers can express their faith in Yeshua along with their Jewishness. And the reason it needs to be restored, like many of these truths, is because somewhere along the line, the enemy cut us off from that, and so cut us off from fully understanding who God is. And so when the the body of Christ is not functioning as God intended, again, there's a misrepresentation to the world. So that is why what is happening in this room is so vitally important. I got one amen, it's still right. Messianic Judaism ought to have always been preserved continuously since the time of Yeshua. For there always have been believing Jews. There should have been no need to create it afresh. Because what we're living in today, the new covenant, was not given to Gentiles. Look at Jeremiah 31. Oh, I have it in front of me. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33. Behold, the days are coming. This is Jeremiah Torah, Old Testament. There's no Gentile he's giving this promise to. He's giving it to Jewish people. Obviously, we're grafted in, so we grab it if we're Gentiles, but it's given to Jewish people. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, while I make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in that day. I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the, I will make with the house of Israel. This is a covenant I will make with the house of Israel. This is a covenant I will make with the house of Israel. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel, not the Gentile Western church. It doesn't make Gentiles insignificant. I'm proud to be a Gentile. I don't want to be anything except what the Lord made me to be. And if you're in this room, you have a heart for that, stay a Gentile. It's okay. You're not going to be Jewish just by dressing in Jewish things. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds, and I will write it in, on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Amen. House of Israel. So there's something that we disconnect to when we disconnect to the people that He gives the covenant that we're living in, then I love God. Love this. He tells him in Psalm 89: 34, I have, it all, "I have it in two places in my house. My covenant will I keep, nor shall I alter the thing that comes out of my lips." I'm going to land the plane in just a moment. But here's what's important. I had some more things. We'll just see how much else the Lord wants to say. For the body of Christ to manifest reformation, pioneers are needed. What are pioneers? It's one that goes before. I got a, uh, yeah, I, I love dictionaries and I got an 1828 dictionary. I, I, I've been wanting it for a while, so I got it on my iPad and I encourage you to get it because to help define things that use scriptural verses. Pioneers are one that goes before and removes obstructions for another. Pioneers break ground for the body of Christ and unlock new territories that is the inheritance of the people of God and necessary for the purposes of God to be established. Pioneers in a movement help pay a great price and are often misunderstood by their, de- by their generation. Here's, here's the thing, what I, I, I have learned, still learning, God, the history never remembers the critics. In 1994, there was a wonderful move of God that broke out in Toronto, which I have some of my root systems in and I'm proud too. There's a man who wrote a book that caused a lot of people to become fearful of that. Nobody remembers that book today. But the fruit of that movement is still going around the world. So what will be the test? The test will be often if, if something is God is does the fruit last? There is a very well-known man. He's a brilliant man. I've read some of his writings. He's got great insight into certain things. But when the modern-day Pentecostal movement came, he said, the modern-day Pentecostal movement is the last vomit of Satan. He obviously did not have a prophetic bone in his body. <laughs> but nobody remembers him. And we're in this room today Because they were pioneers for that movement. I thank God, even prophetically, mentioned him just a little while ago. Uh, Bishop Bill Hammond from Christian International pioneered, really, in my opinion, personal prophecy, broke ground. And some of the biggest critics of him were the Pentecostals. He said, You can't prophesy over everyone, watch me. Can't do it. Why? Because pioneers bring new sets of paradigms to the body of Christ. And it also will often come up against accepted practice and truth. But often what's accepted practice and truth might have God in front of it, but it might not be God. paradigms are a set of assumptions, concepts, and values and practices that constitutes a way of view and reality. New paradigms are often in directly contrast to what is accepted orthodox and accepted practice for its day. At its core, listen to me, this is really important, is a religious spirit. See, just because you, 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 you say something's not right in the name of God doesn't mean it's, it, it, it doesn't mean it's wrong. Just because you use a scripture to disavow something doesn't make it wrong. And what you have to understand is that a religious spirit is very destructive because it's a false religion. And in the name of God, it will stop things of God. I'm not saying that you don't test things. I'm not saying you don't line up everything with the word of God. But so often, things that God is doing in the earth are assassinated by a religious spirit. And it's a false religion. In the name of God, God is misrepresented and Satan prospers. Here's the reason I'm saying that. Because you can only be a pioneer if you move by revelation. Revelation is the only value that can cause you to have a new paradigm. I don't believe that I've arrived. At all. But I believe that the posture of surrender is the posture that opens you up to know truth and also to allow people to speak into your life. How did my understanding of the reconnection start? My understanding of the reconnection probably started over 20 years ago. I'm riding along one day and the Lord speaks to me one phrase, kingdom of God. It's all he said to me. See, often God will speak one phrase and he's looking to see if you're hungry to investigate. So I began to understand this this phrase. What is this phrase? Kingdom of God. And then he led me to this man called Daniel Jester. This thing called Jewish Roots. It was tapes back then. A Messianic rabbi gave me those tapes, and I listened to those tapes. It took me a long time to get through them, probably three months, because I would stop the tape, and I would say, God, is this you? And i read the verse. Open my eyes, God. Open my eyes. Help me see what you want to show me, Amen. and it began to give me an understanding that I needed this. Tr- I needed that foundational truth to see certain things. Mm-hmm. But it's constantly upgrading. I was in. Um, where was I? Four years ago, I was doing an event. In Newark, New Jersey, not too far from here, it was called Miracle in the Park. The person got up some point and began to pray for Israel and the Jewish people. As she began to pray, something got unlocked in my heart that this is God's chosen people once again. And how much God loves his people. The apple of his eye. He has not forsaken his people. And it is my responsibility to pray that the eyes of their understanding would be open.. Amen. Amen. And then, a few weeks ago, I was waiting to go to Israel till the Lord sent me. go on assignments, not on things that feel good. Again. Another upgrade. Look at Luke, the fourth chapter, and I will land the plane here. So he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, as was his customs... And he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. When he's handed the book of the prophet Isaiah and when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and catch this phrase right there, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Sometimes unbelievers don't know this, but if you are outside of Christ and you're in this world system, you are bound beyond bound, and there is no help for you. So you're bound. But he says, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. I believe that this is the gospel but I also believe this is part of our discipleship process. That he wants to, even though he, when you, when you come into the kingdom, you come in and you have now access to the complete freedom that there was in Christ. See God's got this characteristic that I've discovered about him, he's completely free. <laughs> he has no issues. He has no worries. Like, he is not going, man, I wonder what they're going to do in the Middle East today. Like, I'm very concerned about this. And he's got no depression. He's got no sickness. He's got no disease. And he wants you as free as him. That's why he goes, cast all your care upon me because I care for you. So you get free, but he's also got this journey he wants to take you on. And part of that journey is, first of all, to identify areas that you're still bound in. That's why the early church, we talked about it today, earlier today at lunch. One of the characteristics, and this is one of the reasons I believe this has to be a restored truth to the body of Christ. One of the characteristics in the primitive church that happened is you got born again, you got filled with the spirit. You talked in tongues. It wasn't weird. Head As soon as you got born again. And then they cast the demons out of you. <laughs> and if you don't think believers can walk with demons, you haven't been to some of the churches I go to. <laughs> People say, how can that be? A believer can keep anything they want. And so I believe that deliverance. And I know there's, I know we that's there's some weird models out there, but there's some really good ones. Get rid of all your demons in there. And one of the number one lies, that, I'm just gonna say, it. you you don't have to agree with it. One of the number one lies is as soon as you said, you know, amen to that prayer, that you got rid of all those things, because the demon loves that when he goes, great, I get to stay. Got very quiet with that one, but I'm right. I'm right on that one. So what he does is, when you're open to surrender, he wants to set you free from everything that binds you. And as he sets you free from everything that binds you, he gives you eyes to see more clearly. I just had a wonderful upgrade about two months ago, constantly being upgraded. I don't have any skeletons in my closet. I'm not in willful sin, thank God, by the grace of God, but you know what? I'm constantly growing in the knowledge of God. Think third week of April, Spirit of Truth. It's like a Sunday. Yeah, it's Easter Sunday. Ah, that's good. Passover. I feel like something lifting off my head. Monday, the Lord shows me something from my childhood. I had a good childhood. My parents are here. But he showed this incident unlocked some things in your life, and I'd like to free you from that. So I got good people. I said. Here we go. Because you need good people. Mm-hmm. Boom! Gone. Spirit of truth. I've always been able to see. I see. The Spirit, see. As soon as I saw, I started seeing. My seeing went to a whole nother level because some unclean spirit left me. Mm. Oh. Now I see things I don't want to see. <laughs> Give no, that I don't particularly enjoy saying, I'll leave it like that. So we're on this journey to grow in the things of God. But one of the keys is surrender and I'll read this last scripture. This is really important. I didn't get to the other stuff to help some of you, but tomorrow morning I'll get to it. Verse 2, Jesus called the little child to him and said to in the midst of them, and he said, verse 3, surely I say to you, unless you are converted and become like a child, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Posture of the child is the only posture of the kingdom. and So there's pioneering movement in this room. I encourage you, I was going to say this tomorrow, but give people the grace to grow and have patience to grow to be where you are. Lord helped him with that a number of years ago. I was like, why don't they get it, God? Strangle them, you know. <laughs> slap them around, you know. Give them a Pentecostal slap or something. And he said, how long have you been walking with me in this? I said, a lot, while, a little while. He said, you didn't get it all right away. Give them the patience to receive understanding from me. But the key is, I've learned posture of a child that will open you to have him reveal you all truth you receive this word tonight if you receive this word why don't you just um, stand to your feet If you just received this red wine, you just lift your hands to heaven. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. There's just um, a wave of his fiery presence in here tonight. Father, we just received the fire of God tonight. And I bless you tonight with the fire of God. I bless your hands to receive the fire of God. I bless your heart to receive the fire of God. I bless your ears to receive the fire of God. Father, you said you're a God of consuming fire, so we receive your fire tonight. Just see from my right, going across the left, we just receive the fire of God. Amen. I see Jesus, just some of you will just feel like a, a hand and fire just on your heart. I bless you Amen. to receive the fire of God on your heart. I see fire on some of your ears. I bless your ears to Receive the fire of God. I just see the angel of the Lord just lifting off burdens, weights, circumstances. I release to you peace to you today. Lord. The Lord says it's a harvest time for harvest time. I saw earlier during worship, I just saw this uh, parking lot being filled with people and people trying to get into this building because there's a door into a harvest and into an unprecedented outpouring of the Holy Spirit that the group of the people in this room have yet to experience. And I just see seeds now, seeds being planted all across this room. The seeds from heaven are falling now. We receive the seeds from heaven. And the Lord says to the people in this room, there's a release of the spirit of wisdom and revelation to you. There's a door into the beauty of the Lord, and there's a marking tonight. There's a marking from heaven tonight. There's a marking of your heart to love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. I see some of your feet being unlocked to walk where you've never walked before. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I see like a a stream in front of you. And some of you, it's like you're looking at this stream and it's flowing nice. And the Lord says, if you'll you'll step into that stream, it will become an overflowing river that will overtake every part of your life. Why don't you just lift your voice to heaven for just a moment?